0: Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks and coming up today in an era of quiet quitting and the great resignation, how can employers attract and retain the best workers and get their best work? As it turns out, the answer is a question. Also this morning, seniors are bombarded with information on their health care options at this time of year, but there remains one component that is as confusing as ever, managing the cost of gaps in prescription drug coverage. High school football playoffs have reached the regional quarterfinal round. We'll get a complete preview of the action for week number 12 and another collection of easy-to-make recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, November 4th, 2022. It is National Candy Day today. They're about a week late on that, aren't they? Um... Also, King Tut Day, it is National Chicken Lady Day, which I got to imagine that there is probably a story behind that. Uh, National Skeptics Day, Use Your Common Sense Day, and I think those two things are going to go hand in hand. Uh, Use your common sense and be a bit of a skeptic, especially in this last weekend before the election, you get all of those uh, campaign ads. (laughs) They're going to be bombarding the airwaves over the next uh, 48 to 72 hours. Uh, Be a little skeptical there. It is Fountain Pen Day. Have you ever used a fountain pen? I have never used a fountain pen. Never have used a fountain pen. Um, I don't even know if I've ever owned a fountain pen. It is Love Your Lawyer Day and... It is National Easy Bake Oven Day today, so there's a reason to sell it. By the way, speaking of which, I mentioned Easy Bake Oven Day. In case you missed it, yesterday was National Men Make Dinner Day. And I don't know that I had that on my list yesterday, so I don't know how we missed this, but yesterday was National Men Make Dinner Day, giving men who don't normally cook their chance to shine. They're... There are a few rules on this. If you want to observe men make dinner day today, I mean, I don't think uh, anyone is going to come and haul you to holiday jail if you celebrate it on the wrong day, so you can do this today. There are a few rules according to the woman who founded the day back in 2001. The meal must have a minimum of four ingredients. (laughs) So no toasted cheese, that doesn't qualify. Four ingredients, you must use a cooking utensil other than a fork, and the man has to buy all the ingredients. So uh, whatever whatever you like uh, that meets those requirements, men make dinner day, if you want to observe that today, uh, because we missed it yesterday. Uh, so don't forget to set the clock back this weekend and check your smoke alarms while you're at it. The uh, Consumer Product Safety Commission recommends replacing batteries in smoke and carbon monoxide detectors at least once a year. Fall is a good time as we head into the cooler season. And, uh, the risk of fire in the home goes up this time of year because of supplemental heating uh, fireplaces and portable heaters and so on. So this is a good time for that. Uh, most carbon monoxide poisoning also incur- occurs between November and February. A lot of time because of uh, furnaces and uh, things of that nature and fireplaces and and so on. So in addition to making sure your alarms are uh, fully operational, CPSC recommends making a fire escape plan and ensuring that you have Two, not one, but two clear paths to get out of your house if necessary. Because what happens if you only have one? What happens if it's blocked? And for whatever reason, you can't get out your main uh, escape plan. So always have a backup. So make mention of that. Um, As most of the country prepares to fall back on Sunday, a new study claims that year-round daylight saving time would not only be easier on everybody because we wouldn't have to worry about changing the clock and we wouldn't have our circadian rhythms, our sleep patterns thrown into disarray twice a year. Year Year-round daylight saving time would, according to this new study, save the lives of nearly 37,000 deer that otherwise are killed in traffic collisions every year. Now, I gotta be honest, I'm not so much worried about the deer, the thirty-seven thousand deer, I'm worried about the thirty-seven thousand vehicles that get crunched up because of those car deer collisions. A study out of the University of Washington published earlier this week in the journal Current Biology estimates that permanent daylight saving time would uh, save dozens of of deer and people involved in those collisions by reducing the amount of rush hour traffic when it is dark outside. Researchers estimate that permanent daylight saving time would prevent 33 human deaths and more than 2,000 injuries while saving not only the lives of 37,000 deer, but also $1.2 billion in the costs of deer collisions because skies would be brighter later into the evening. So if for no other reason, I think we really need to uh, look at this. As We mentioned yesterday, there's been a bill in Congress that has been languishing for a year or more on making daylight saving time permanent in the U.S. And uh, it has stalled in the House. Which, again, like I mentioned yesterday, this should be a major campaign talking point. I don't know why it's not. I have no idea. It should be. But, uh, yeah. So the uh, Powerball is... Is it the Powerballs or the Mega Millions? Which of the uh, big lotteries is... I I never know because I don't play. But $1.5 billion up for grabs this weekend in the uh, Powerball lottery, I guess it is. And I thought this was kind of interesting. I saw this story online the other day. I have often said that if I would happen to win the lottery, which is very unlikely since I don't play, but if I <laughs> if I were to win, the very first thing that I would do would be to challenge the law that says that lottery winners have to go public with their names and and all of that. In Ohio, they do. Some other states, you can remain anonymous, uh, but in Ohio, you have to make your identity known. Um, for some reason, if you are the only people that I want to know that I won the lottery, uh, my tax accountant, uh, <laughs> you know the the IRS, uh, and and you know my wife, my tax accountant, the IRS. The only ones that would ever know. Um, But uh, one man in China uh, went to an extreme to protect his identity after winning the lottery. He dressed up as uh, a mascot like Pikachu is, I think, is what it was. I think he dressed up like Pikachu when he went to claim his prize. (laughs) After playing the lottery for 10 years, uh, the man who is known only as Lee and that may or may not be his real name, finally hit the jackpot, not once, not twice, but 40 times um, after spending $11 on 40 tickets, all with his usual numbers. His numbers were drawn, and he had 40 tickets with the winner, so he had 40 times on $11 worth of tickets, each one of those tickets worth about three-quarters of a million dollars. The equivalent of three-quarters of a million dollars. So his grand prize was over $30 million. Um, after taxes, uh, he pocketed $24 million. But he didn't want everybody to know. And so uh, when claiming the prize, Mr. Lee showed up dressed... As the, it looked like a Pikachu thing, but it's actually the mascot of the Chinese lottery. (laughs) They have a little cute little animated mascot, so he dressed up in that costume to claim his prize. And the reason why he did it, see, now I would not want people to know because there are stories of people actually being targeted by criminals and even. Uh, People being killed over their lottery winnings. So I would be concerned about that. But in his case, he told the South China Morning Post, I have not even told my wife or my kids because I'm concerned that they might feel superior to other people and will not work hard or study hard in the future if they know they're big lottery winners. So (laughs) that's crazy. Uh, let's see. And one other item here among the first things you need to know this morning, because every day we have to have something to be worried about. A new report warns that overusing technology could be steering human evolution in a direction that leaves people looking deformed compared to what we consider to be normal today. Researchers Worked with a 3D designer to create a model of a future human that accounts for all of the problems long term tech use may cause. For example, uh, with this uh, new poll that finds the American, a typical American uses the internet seven hours a day. The team, with that in mind, factored in a wide, wide range of scientific studies and expert opinions, examining the physical and mental changes that come from consistent exposure to smartphones, laptops, and so on. And the model, uh, and I've seen this uh, picture, it, it shows a hunchbacked, claw-handed human being with a second eyelid. Yes, that's right. The model predicts that humans may, over time with evolution, develop a second eyelid to defend against too much blue light from the digital devices. According to Kasun Radnaki, I think is how you pronounce it, from the University of Toledo, humans may develop a larger inner eyelid to prevent exposure to excessive light. So a second eyelid... A hunchback claw handed second eyelid humanoid. It'd be like something out of Star Trek, is basically what they're saying. So that's could be our future. That's what we have to worry about today. There you go. Look it up online. It is really scary. There you go. That is uh, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started.
1: WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. It'll be partly sunny today, a high in the mid-70s, mostly cloudy tonight, a low around 60. The Finley Fire Department, with an important reminder for everybody this weekend, when you turn your clocks back for the time change, also take the time to change the batteries in your smoke detectors. Inspector Eric Wilkins says working smoke detectors save lives, and when they have a fire in which a smoke detector didn't go off to alert the occupants, it's usually because of human error. didn't change the battery. as it past its 10 years or... You know, your mother-in-law was cooking and burnt something and, you know, he
0: took the smoke detector down because it was annoying, you know, and we don't put it back.
1: And he also urges people to have carbon monoxide detectors in their homes as well. Get more safety tips on the website. As several viruses make their way through classrooms, ONN's Yolanda Harris spoke with a Cleveland Clinic doctor about staying safe from RSV, COVID-19, and the flu.
2: Sometimes it just comes down to deciding when not to go to class.
3: If there's any way possible to keep your child with a fever home, because that is usually a sign that they're more contagious, that's always a good idea.
2: Doctors say it's also important to make sure your child is vaccinated.
1: ONN's Yolanda Harris reporting. Election day is quickly approaching and Ohio voters will decide state issue two on November 8th, which deals with whether legal immigrants with green cards who are not U.S. citizens should be able to vote in local elections.
2: There's only one town in Ohio that allows non-U.S. citizens to vote, and that's Yellow Springs, east of Dayton. If issue two is passed, no city or town would be able to allow non-U.S. citizens to vote in local elections. And Yellow Spring would have to change its voting requirements. There is an argument here, though, that cities should have the option since green card holders are still a part of the community.
1: ONN's Kaylee Marantet reporting Election Day is on Tuesday. ODOT wants to hear about your holiday-themed safety message that could be selected to go up on the highway message boards over the holidays. Previous messages have reminded drivers that life is fragile, a reference to the popular holiday movie, A Christmas Story. We have a link on the website where you can submit your holiday-themed safety message to ODOT. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com.
0: Well, you know, over the past year or two, terms like The Great Resignation and Quiet Quitting have entered our business lexicon. Unmistakable signs of what we know is the worst workplace discontent in a generation. To help business owners and managers navigate these uncertain times for employers and come out stronger on the other side, we are joined by Laura Ashley Timms, co-author of the new book, The Answer is a Question, The Easy Way to Quickly Transform Your Impact as a Manager and Leader. Question for you, Laura, did all of this come out of the pandemic I mean, the the popular thought is that this is a result of people reevaluating what is truly important to them in the wake of this great upheaval of their lives. But I'm wondering, was the discontent always
3: there? Yeah, that is a really great question and hi Chris, it's a pleasure to be on with you today. The reality is this has been there before, it was absolutely there before. We have been working in this field for nearly 20 years and we were doing some research for the UK government pre-pandemic to look at whether changes in the way we manage people could really drive the engagement and productivity right across the UK and beyond. So the issue was always there, but the pandemic has brought it into stark reality, because what's happened since the pandemic is that people no longer are prepared to work in places and environments which just no longer speak to their own values. And I it's been a massive reassessment about what are people's values, everyone recognises, how quickly things can change, how short life can be. And that has been the massive catalyst where we're now much more aware of it. Yes, it happened before, but now it's become a really critical thing to address.
0: So, given that that's where current and potential employees are in their mindset today, what then, how does that translate to uh, employers in terms of the challenges in retaining the good workers they have and hiring the right people moving forward? How is this? different than it used to be in the wake of all of this
3: well i think there was a period in time and obviously there's always you know ups and flows where there are plenty of people so if you have people leaving then it's easy enough to find new people to join and people maybe didn't care organizations felt where they could always get people they were a great company people would join them i think the difference now is people are speaking with their feet So we've got a situation where eighty to eighty nine percent of the workforce is actually disengaged and ten to twenty percent of them are actively disengaged and that's what's driving this quiet quitting. Either people are walking with their feet and leaving a company if they don't enjoy the relationship with their line managers and the leaders in that company or the culture of that company, or they're putting their pens down and going, Well, I'll just do the bare minimum then. I'm not putting any more in for this my stress, my work-life balance, my well-being is far more important. It's now about me, not about the company. So it's this dichotomy of all of these things happening. And on top of that, you've now got managers who are having to address all of this. They've got less people maybe than they want in their team, and they've got less budget, and there's more pressure, and they're having to deal with the post-pandemic situation where you've obviously not maybe had a fantastic experience through the pandemic from a business perspective. And they are often doing two people's jobs now and under even more pressure. So you've got this perfect storm between people wanting their managers to be better and the managers themselves being exhausted, overworked, stressed, and also, you know, not having the resilience and resources to cope with it. And not having the skills often. So we all want to come to work, be valued, um, have interesting work, be developed, have great conversations, collaborate with our colleagues and enjoy the hours we're putting into that part of our life. We all want that. So what we need to do right now is help those managers that maybe didn't choose to be people managers develop one or two critical skills and superpowers to change the way they're working every day with their teams. And that can be the answer to everything that can really solve this situation we're in right now.
0: So, uh, so how is that done then? Referencing the title of the book, the answer is a question. What is the question that will lead to the answer?
3: Uh, so the answer is to ask questions instead of telling people what to do. So the, the concept of the book and the title about the book is all about The fact that as managers, we often go in and tell people what to do. We're the experts. We solve the problems. We come in every day to solve, to firefight our way through the day, keeping the show on the road. And we do that by telling everyone what to do, how to fix the problems, do it this way. I want you to do this now. And the whole concept behind the book is to stop that, to stop your normal habit of telling people what to do, to think, is this a coachable moment? Can I ask a question instead of telling? someone wants to do right now, develop the skills to ask those great questions and actively listen to the answers and then help the other person, not you by telling, but help the other person get to a result, find the next step, something they can do later on that day, right there and then, to help resolve what it is they're trying to do. And put the put the excitement and the answer back on the other person rather than always going around telling everyone what to do. Mm. So the idea is the answer is the question.
0: So how do I, how do we identify those coachable moments? And then how can managers kind of shift that mindset uh, to actually listen to their uh, workers, their team members, and so on, uh, on that level? So we cover
3: this quite extensively in the book because first thing you have to do is build triggers you've got to stop your old habits we've been doing things for years haven't we We come to work we just someone asks something, we response our gut responses to help them to solve them we want to be helpful and we know the answer we believe so we tell them what to do so the first thing we have to do is we have to break that habit we have to and we, we do deal with this in the book in quite a lot of detail and show people how to change their normal response and try something different and see what happens when they try that different and then we break that down in a way to Really, give people the skills to think about how they craft questions in a different way to get different outcomes. We're rarely taught in our lives how to ask questions or anything about questions. And when we are taught, it's at quite a light level or it's for our benefit. So, we're taught how we ask questions to inform ourselves so that we can learn something. Well, this book is not about that. This book is actually about helping you ask a question for the best of the other person so they can develop their thinking, so they can have ideas, so they can take ownership for what they're going to do next. So it's the complete opposite of trying to help ourselves. It's about helping the other person. And that can be so exciting in the impact that has. And managers and organizations that have developed this skill, that have created this superpower, find that their retention has improved by a factor of six. So these issues about having to go and recruit become less. Because people stay, they're happy, they're enjoying work.
0: Yeah, that is not an insignificant number uh, there, and I, I can I can see uh, how this would be beneficial. And I think managers, uh, when you really think about it, you can see how this would be rene- uh, beneficial. Do workers generally kind of buy into this uh, automatically, uh, or because I can see? Uh, a worker who uh, responds with, well, I don't know the answer. That's your job, isn't it?
3: That's right. And, and they will say that. And that is something we're regularly told. So, What do you say in response when someone says that? And the idea is to help shift the perspective of that person when they've come to you so they start doing some of the thinking. You've you've created this habit. You've got all the answers. So they come to you and you give them the answer. That's, they think that's your job. But that isn't your job. Your job is to help others step up and do more of that heavy lifting and come up with more of the ideas that you can step up yourself, develop your career, and do the job that you're really there to do, which is to help drive the strategy, to really help drive um, drive, drive the organization, the business, and do higher value work. At the moment, you're doing their job for them by giving them the answer. So you need to shift their perspective, and you can do that with some really great questions. So if someone said that to you, what you could do, instead of giving them the answer, you could ask them, What advice would you give to a colleague in your situation?
0: You know, it's interesting. This strikes me as sort of a reinvention or a modernization of the old business adage. If your workers uh, are, your employees are invested in their contributions, if they're invested in the uh, business, in the company, in their own way, uh, they are going to take ownership of it. They're going to be more satisfied. They're going to be happier. Uh, They're going to stick around longer and so on. That's not a new concept in business. This is just kind of looking at it in a fresh way. Is that a fair assessment?
3: Well, that certainly is what we all want in our organizations and in business. So definitely, I guess the difference here is we show you how to do it. Yeah. So many books in the past have told you what you need to do that this book breaks down the how to do it as well.
0: Yeah. Again, Laura Mm -hmm. Ashley Timms is co-author of the new book, The Answer is a Question, the easy way to quickly transform your impact as a manager and leader. Where do we learn more about the book? Do you have a a website we can guide folks to?
3: Yeah, so the answer is a question.com is the website where we can, uh, you can find the book and it's on Amazon.
0: Laura, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Well, as seniors are acutely aware, during the Medicare enrollment window, there are all sorts of messages about your health care benefits, prescription drug coverage, and so on and so forth. You hear them all the time. Every time you turn around, uh, you're getting bombarded with these messages. And recent legislation will allow the federal government to negotiate drug prices for Medicare recipients. Seniors are also told to look for generic alternatives whenever possible to minimize their prescription drug costs. What we're getting at is that there is a lot of information that folks get hammered with, and it is not always uh, easy to decipher. It's very easy to get confused and frustrated by the whole thing. Joining us this morning is Dr. Daniel Zlot, Zlott, his Senior Vice President at the American Pharmacists Association. Dr. Zlot, talk about the role of pharmacists in helping patients better understand their medications and their drug coverage plans?
4: Yeah, absolutely, Chris. Uh, I like to think of it this way. When it comes to getting the most out of your medications, your pharmacist is really your best friend. So as a pharmacist myself, I help patients understand their medications. You know, that means understanding what the medication is for, understanding how to take it safely and effectively, and also understanding what to expect while taking a given medication. Additionally, I help patients navigate the complexities of prescription drug coverage. After all, when you come to the pharmacy counter is really when we interact with your prescription drug coverage. And then I also sometimes will help patients who are having trouble affording their medications find options that can help lower their out-of-pocket costs on their meds. So talk about some
0: of those obstacles that uh, particularly seniors face when it comes to managing uh, their health in general and the cost of prescription drugs in particular. Uh, and again, as we mentioned, that coverage gap is uh, one of the uh, main concerns that I'm sure often comes up.
4: Absolutely. So uh, first off, let's just acknowledge that health insurance and prescription drug coverage is complex and confusing. And it seems it's going to get more complex and confusing with every year that goes by. Um, One of the things that makes prescription drug coverage so complex and confusing is this concept of a coverage gap. So uh, coverage gaps exist in both Medicare prescription drug plans as well as some commercial uh, drug plans. And when a patient enters one of these uh, coverage gaps, they might find that their out-of-pocket costs or their medications can increase suddenly and unexpectedly sometimes. And for some patients, that can make it difficult for them to afford their medications.
0: So what are the options to bridge that gap and, and lower the overall cost of their medications?
4: So the very best thing that you can do if you're having trouble affording your medication is to talk to your pharmacist. So uh, there are a number of different tools that we have at our disposal, and depending on the particulars of your financial situation, your uh, prescription drug coverage, as well as the medications that you're on, you know, I need to know all three of those things to get you linked up with the best option to help lower your out-of-pocket costs. And it'll be different for everybody, just like we individualize treatment decisions uh, for each individual patient, we also individualize which types of options to help lower uh, out-of-pocket drug costs are right for each individual patient.
0: Conversely, the worst thing we can do uh, is skipping our medications, not taking the recommended dosage, and so on. All things that some individuals have been known to do in order to try and keep the costs in check.
4: Absolutely, Chris. Thank you so much for raising that point. You know, This is one of the things that gives me nightmares as a pharmacist. When I learn that a patient is having difficulty affording their medication, I worry that they won't take their medication as prescribed. As you said, maybe they'll you know, take a medication every other day when they're supposed to take it every day. Right. Or maybe they'll cut their tablets in half in an attempt to you know, sp- spread their prescription dollar further. And in the case of uh, blood thinners, as an example, that can really put you at significant risk. So uh, blood thinners are prescribed to help prevent blood clots. And if you stop taking your blood thinner as prescribed, that increases your risk of blood clots. And if you have a blood clot, That significantly increases your risk of having a heart attack or a stroke. And obviously, those are both very, very serious events. They can't even be fatal, uh, and that's not something that anyone wants to experience.
0: So this could literally be a matter of life and death. Now, let me ask this because uh, I know that this is probably one of the things, as people hear us talk about all of this, uh, one of the things uh, that we've heard about in the news here recently, the uh, recently passed act that is supposed to close this prescription gap and make medications more affordable and uh, so on, one of the provisions of the Inflation Reduction Act there are varying opinions as to how effective that measure will be. Either way, whether you believe it will or will not help, one thing's for sure, it's not going to kick in right away, right? I mean, it'll, it'll take a little while for this to make any difference uh, if it does.
4: Yeah, absolutely, Chris. I think you're spot on. Um, you know, whether the Inflation Reduction Act and the, the prescription changes uh, do or don't, affect drug prices, I think remains to be seen. But one thing I know for sure in the here and now, the best thing that you can do if you're having trouble affording your medication is to talk to your pharmacist. And uh, I'll give you an example of the types of things that I use when my patients come and talk to me. So let's go back to this example of a patient who's taking a blood thinner. Uh, There's a great new resource available called feelingwhen.com. And it's for patients who are on blood thinners and are maybe having difficulty affording their medications. You know, maybe they hit one of those coverage gaps that we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. So it's a wonderful resource for for patients or caregivers of patients who are on blood thinners. Uh, And they can go to that website, feelingwhen.com, and see if they uh, if there's options to help them lower their out-of-pocket costs on their blood centers.
0: So just one example, uh, and there are others, but there are uh, ways to deal with all of these challenges. Again, we know that it is been, has been very challenging for seniors and for uh, caregivers uh, to navigate all of this. Certainly, over the past couple of years, uh, a lot of those things have been uh, even amplified more. Uh, Dr. Daniel Zlot is senior vice president of the American Pharmacy. Association. Where do we get uh, more information? You mentioned the one website, and I know the uh, pharmacist Association uh, has uh, more information online as well.
4: Absolutely. So I'll give you I'll give you a couple of things. Um, to sound like a broken record, make sure to talk to your pharmacist. They're going to be your best first stop for information if you're having trouble affording your medication. If you're on a blood thinner, feelingwhen.com is a wonderful resource for you to see if there's options to help lower your out-of-pocket costs. And if you're looking for information about the American Pharmacist Association and the work that we do to help lower prescription drug costs for all of our patients, check out www.pharmacist.com.
0: Dr. Zlot, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it.
4: Thank you, Chris. It's been a pleasure to join you today.
5: I'm John Marshall with this high school football preview. It's week two of the playoffs and the BBC still has three representatives, though that will be fewer next week as two meet tonight. Macomb is the number 1 seed in Division 7 Region 26 and will host ninth seeded Pandora Gilboa. The two teams battled in week 5 with the Panthers holding off a Hail Mary for a 7 point win. You can hear the Rockets at the Panthers tonight on 100.5 WKXA. Pregame is at 635 with kick to follow at 7. The winner of that matchup faces the winner of number 4 LCC and 12th seeded Delta St. John's. That will be decided at Lima Stadium tonight. Also in Region 26, it's Gibsonburg at Waynesfield Goshen, and number two seed, Antwerp, hosts Delphus Jefferson. In Division Five, Region 18, nine seed Liberty Benton visits top seed Liberty Center. Eagles coach Scott Garlock. Their offensive line controls the line of scrimmage. It's not like your typical wing T where it's three yards and a cloud of dust. They're getting big chunks of yardage. We're going to have to put them in a situation where maybe they're not as comfortable. That game will air on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM tonight with pregame at 6:30. Coldwater hosts Huron as the fourth and fifth seeds battle for the right to meet the winner of LB in Liberty Center. In Division Six, Region 22, one-seed Carey hosts number eight Colonel Crawford. It's a rematch of a game in Week Six where Carey got the hard-fought win, seven to three. Fifth seed Columbus Grove goes to West Salem Northwestern. Number ten Patrick Henry is at Ashland to meet number two seed Crestview. And Hopewell Loudon, a number six seed, heads to third seeded Columbia tonight. Again, it's Liberty Benton at Liberty Center at six thirty on WFIM. While pregame for Pandora Gilboa meeting Macomb is at six thirty-five on one hundred point five. I'm John Marshall, WFIN Sports. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert.
0: Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. This is one you can chalk up to the category of who thought this was a good idea? Guests who were sleeping overnight at the Taronga Zoo in Sydney, Australia, as part of its Roar and Snore promotion were had to be quickly evacuated after the lions escaped their enclosure. <laughs> wow. Um, according to one of the guests who was sleeping at the zoo, they came running down to the tent area saying... Code one, code one, get out of your tents, leave your belongings behind, and run this way. Uh, One of the participants, Magnus Perry, said they did, uh, the uh, Lions uh, did breach the containment fence. The executive director of the zoo says we don't have the exact details of how or why that occurred. Well, I don't know the how, but I can tell you the why. (laughs) They're <laughs> probably hungry for a late night snack. That's. <laughs> uh, the story does point out no one was injured, either animal or human, so there is that, but I don't think they'll be doing another roar and snore promotion anytime soon. <laughs> Some, something tells me there is a liability issue that. <laughs> <laughs> they may, they may get into trouble with. Wow. <clears throat> well, it'd certainly be a memorable night. Uh, that is for sure. <laughs> Who thought that was a good idea? Police in uh, Santa or no? I'm sorry, different story here. Uh, this in uh, Vermont, and I'm not sure uh, where specifically in Vermont, but it's a small state, so Vermont should be good enough. Uh, police are calling it a hate crime after a vandalism incident at the Pleasant Street Baptist Church, somewhere in Vermont, on Wednesday. Officers responded to the church where someone had spray painted a large pentagram and the word "Satan" on the side of the building. Ah, uh, not too bright, right? Um, the reason why <laughs> the reason why this makes the broken news is that uh, the word Satan was misspelled. <laughs> they, they misspelled the word Satan. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, police say no suspects have been identified, uh, but obviously the cops are not looking for the brightest of criminal minds. And I would imagine... That whatever punishment would await the vandals here in this case are probably nothing compared to the punishment they have coming on down the line, if you know what I mean. <laughs> misspelled the word Satan, that's all right. A group of Florida men have been arrested. Their crime, stealing $9 million worth of meat. That's right. The four men who are all from the Miami area were arrested a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Federal investigators, this is a federal investigation. Uh, The allegation is that over the course of about a year and a half, these individuals completed 45 thefts. Adding up to a total of nine million dollars in stolen meat, along with uh, equipment from a uh, from a several, uh, in fact, I was going to say a beef and pork packaging plant, but several packaging plants from across the Midwest. So, <laughs> a very prolific meat theft ring, apparently. Um, Homeland Security got involved in this because. I guess it's messing with the nation's food supply. As for what happened to the meat, there was no mention in the press release from Homeland Security of whether it was used or resold or exactly what happened to it. No one knows what happened to the meat. (laughs) That's weird. Is there a huge black market for meat? I mean, I know meat prices have been going up, but is there a huge black market for Meat, <laughs> nine million dollars worth. Wow, that's that's a lot of meat. This past Sunday, speaking of uh, food uh, thefts and related items here, some wily thieves broke into a fancy, high-dollar restaurant in Spain and stole 132 bottles of wine, valued at over one hundred ninety-two thousand dollars. Apparently, the theft was extremely well-coordinated. The per- perpetrators seemed to know when the restaurant would be closed, and they struck on a day that, uh, that they were not open for business, which meant it took longer for staff to realize that the wine had been stolen. Those responsible for the dastardly crime gained access to the restaurant by entering through a closed pharmacy Next door, they broke through the wall, a pharmacy next door, which seems like a a lot of effort to go through just to steal some wine. I don't know whether the insurance will cover this, says the owner of the restaurant, but it won't cover the sentimental aspect of things. Some of the bottles that were stolen had been passed down by the owners of the restaurant for years. Very, very rare Wines last year, another restaurant in the region had more than one and a half million dollars in wine stolen by a couple. So apparently this is a uh, big deal in Spain. Wine thefts. What stolen wine would go with the stolen meat? That's what I want to know. Get a sommelier uh, in to tell us (laughs) what stolen wine goes with stolen meat. Um... Here is an early Christmas story in the broken news. In London, some massive silver ornaments started rolling down the street after being dislodged by heavy winds. The, and these things were huge. Larger than life. Uh, it's, <laughs> these uh, larger than life ornaments turned into a larger than life game of pinball. Because you had these silver ornaments that were part of a Halloween, or Halloween, a a Christmas, uh, early Christmas display were jarred loose, dislodged by heavy winds, started rolling down Tottenham Court Road, bumping into lamp posts (laughs) and everything. These giant silver balls, Uh, the uh, shiny coating on the ornaments stripped off the decorations as they rolled down the street. As 70-mile-an-hour winds swept across the United Kingdom, no one appears to have been hurt by the holiday fiasco. Fortunately, it happened in the middle of the night when there weren't a whole lot of uh, pedestrians out, obviously. and So nobody was hurt. They have a video of the, these huge ornaments rolling down the street. It is rather humorous. You can look that up if you need a good chuckle today. And finally, in the broken news this morning... Uh, Speaking of the holidays, Thanksgiving is coming up, and while arguments around the table are as common as turkey and stuffing come Thanksgiving, one company believes they may have the solution this year, gravy infused with THC (laughs) to kind of take the edge off this Thanksgiving. Uh, With increasing social, political, and cultural divisiveness driving apart families and friends, Kiva Cannabis Infused Gravy Will Unite Us All Around the Dinner Table This is an ad for Kiva Cannabis Infused Gravy Uh, The ad goes on to say Turkey Mashed Potatoes, Awkward Conversation You Can Drown Them All In The Flavors of Rosemary, Thyme, Oregano And 10 Milligrams of THC (laughs) That a brilliant idea The company promises that in just 15 minutes, you will start feeling the effects so you can sit back, relax, and let the holiday cheer wash over you. (laughs) The $5 ground gravy powder being sold at dispensaries while limited supplies last. If you (laughs) needed an argument for legalizing marijuana in the state of Ohio, that's it right there. And $5... A small price to pay. There you go. Uh, That is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever.
2: Hi. Oh, hey.
0: Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. (sighs) Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time.
1: Uh
2: Text
0: and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger, put it in the glove box, just don't text and drive. Visit stoptextsstoprex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council.
4: This message provided by WFIN.
0: And now your daily download the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Just about any pet owner will tell you that the love that they share with their pet is priceless. But if you look at it from a practical standpoint, it's really not. According to a new survey, 2,000 cat owners were asked. This is a survey commissioned by the pet food company, Solid Gold. Cat owners say that they will spend more than $25,000 over the course of the life of their pet. Uh, they break it down. It's $100 a year on toys, $109 a month on food, and the average vet visit runs $111. And then <laughs> they also said they spend an average of $764 to replace furniture that their cat scratches up. <laughs> so you extrapolate all of that out For the average lifespan of a cat of 15 years, and that's where you get the grand total of more than $25,000. Now, despite this, and despite the fact that 52% in the survey classify their cats as house-destroying tornadoes, and 73% say their cats are revenge seekers, the survey finds that the majority of cat owners say that their feline friends are worth it. Now, again, this is just cats, but uh, more than $25,000. But they're worth it, they say. I think we know where the term crazy cat lady comes from, because that is nuts. And now, once again, my wife Kyra has joined us in the studio this morning for another edition of Recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. And, uh, very good morning. Good morning. Good morning, y'all. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed here this morning. I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) We've got a, um, this is actually a recipe that was shared with you from a friend of ours. Friend of ours. And, um... It's one that we were actually going to try earlier this week, and we kept getting... Sidetracked uh, and, yeah. and lots going on this week. It, yeah, I mean it was like every time we were going to make it because it's crockpot recipe. Crock so um, it doesn't
2: take that long in the crockpot, but but it but is, it is crock a pot. crockpot recipe. Yeah,
0: you know, it, and it, that really kind of uh, speaks to one of the challenges with a crockpot recipe is that you yeah. have to actually plan ahead. Head.
2: yeah, <laughs> that has not happened <laughs> and this week. Sometimes
0: <laughs> that can be a challenge. Yeah. I mean, crockpot recipes are great. Yes, um, because you know you come home from work and boom, it's right, right. there. Right. It's already done, but you yep. do have to think ahead, ahead to get everything ready <laughs> in order to, to get it uh, yeah. into the crock yeah. and started in the morning. So yeah. uh, that has not worked for us this now, week. Maybe. Hopefully next week, yeah,
2: because it, it won't be as crazy next week, I uh, hope. Uh, Although we'll be getting ready to go on vacation, so it might be again. <laughs> so who knows? Who knows? Uh,
0: but anyway, <laughs> uh, so it sounds yummy, though, because... We both are oh. uh, big fans of yeah. just about uh, sweet and sour anything, anything.
2: yeah, and so, kielbasa, That's yeah, and kielbasa. I, yeah.
0: But this is something that I would have never really thought about. Yeah, just sweet and sour kielbasa. kielbasa. So what's the recipe here? So
2: it's two cups, two cups of ketchup, a half a cup of brown sugar, two tablespoons of Worcestershire sauce, two tablespoons of butter, a half a cup of onion diced, four tablespoons of white vinegar. A half a cup of water, salt and pepper to taste, and a pound of kielbasa. Um, I usually use the uh, smokeless or smoke skinless mm-hmm. um, kielbasa. That's yeah. my favorite. Um, so put your ketchup, your brown sugar, your butter, your onion, your vinegar, water, salt, and pepper in the bottom of your slow cooker. Stir until all combined. Slice up your kielbasa. Into bite sized pieces, put in the slow cooker, stir to coat with sauce, cook on low for about two hours, on high for about an hour, and then serve over rice if desired.
0: It's really simple. Really easy. Really, yes. really, really easy. You could actually do this uh outside of the crock pot. Oh, yeah. I mean you, you oh, wouldn't yeah. have on to the stove top or- But yep. I'm thinking the crock pot what helps. makes that it it yeah. helps all of that yeah. stuff soak in yes. and you yeah. know. Yeah. uh really yeah that's soak right up the, the 2
2: hours on low yeah. i think would be perfect yeah yeah
0: so the sweet and sour kielbasa is a really simple recipe to go along with that Uh, You were talking about serving over rice. You have an easy fried rice recipe with onions. Onions, yes. So
2: so two tablespoons of olive oil and two tablespoons of butter, one tablespoon of minced garlic, a half a cup of onion chopped, one cup of rice uncooked, two cups of chicken broth, and two teaspoons of soy sauce. So in a big skillet um, on medium heat, heat up uh, and melt your... um, butter, and your olive oil. Um, And then kind of let that get a little bit brown. So Okay. okay. Then add your garlic and your onion and your rice, and your uncooked rice, and stir that, and your rice is going to start getting golden brown, Mm. a little bit of golden brown. Right. So then add your broth, um, let it come to a boil, then turn down the heat to low, cover, and let it sit for about, Fifteen to twenty minutes, so that rice soaks up all that chicken broth. Right, and then sprinkle with some uh, pepper to taste. Fluff with a fork and serve with your meat.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, how long? When you're talking about uh, stir frying the uh, rice, how yeah. long? Oh, I would that? say I, maybe probably not a long time. No, about
2: think. maybe maybe five minutes. Maybe if that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, probably closer to. Three or so. Okay, three or four. And Depends then on your it sit. how you're. Yeah, I use my iron skillet, so it takes a little bit longer because I mean that iron skillets getting mm-hmm. warm and yeah. you know heating everything up. So, okay. yep.
0: Uh, and then for dessert, we have a recipe for chocolate kahlua cake.
2: Yes, so I mm. made this for my mom last week for her birthday. So that's
0: what it was. Yes. I didn't know. I didn't know that there was a splash of kahlua cool. in and that.
2: Yes, mm. and it was this yummy. stuff. I could have. I had a little dropping fell on my finger, and I could have ate the whole batter. <laughs> I not even baked it. I was like. All this is good. Now,
0: <laughs> it, this is, uh, it is a very heavy case. Yes. I mean, yes, this it is. is like a almost like a pound cake consistency. Yeah. You did it in a bunt pan.
2: I did it in pan. Bu- and that's yeah, that's I've is got that, it in oh, a bundt okay, pan. Oh, okay. It is a bunt <laughs>
0: pan here in the <laughs> in the recipe.
2: Yep. Um I guess you
0: wouldn't necessarily have to do it in a bunt pan.
2: Uh, I don't know. I would think I Because I mean, it's yeah, so you heavy. It, you could I mean you could probably do it in a regular cake pan. But I mean I'm thinking it's gonna be heavy. It it's it's yeah.
0: heavy so yeah. the center of the cake right. uh would would take longer and it might dry right. out the yeah outer pieces of the cake, yeah. so probably bunt Pandas is, is yeah. better. But anyway, uh, so the chocolate Kahlua cake.
2: So one 16 and a half ounce uh, package of your devil's food cake mix, uh, one cup of sour cream, four large eggs, a half a cup of Kahlua, a half a cup of vegetable oil, one uh, 3.9 ounce package of your instant chocolate pudding mix, two tablespoons of grated orange zest, one teaspoon of ground cinnamon, one and a half cups of mini Chocolate chips and one 16 ounce container of uh, chocolate frosting. So, preheat your oven to 350 degrees, grease grease your bunt pan, and then coat it with your flour. Um, then, combine your cake mix, your sour cream, your eggs, your clue, your oil, your pudding mix, your orange zest, and your cinnamon all in a large pan. Beat with an electric mixer um, on medium until uh, really soft for three to four minutes. I think I did mine for like three minutes. Okay. Um, Then fold in your chocolate chips. uh, Pour the batter into your prepared uh, tube pan. Bake in your preheated oven uh, until the toothpick insert um, comes out clean. Or you can do your thumb test if you want. And if it bounces Mm -hmm. up, you're good to go. Uh, then remove from the oven and cool in the pan for about 10 minutes. Uh, then uh, turn your um, pan over onto right. a dish right? and take your cake out. Uh, then let it cool completely for at least 30 minutes or overnight if you want. Uh, then uh, place your frosting in a microwave for about 30 seconds. Stir that up because it's going to get kind of more... Uh, it's not going to be as thick, mm-hmm. and then you can just pour you that right. You want to ri- pour it, yeah. yeah. Pour it as right over top to of mm-hmm. icing pour, the cake. Yes, you yeah. want to just kind of pour it over, make it look pretty, sprinkle it with some chocolate chips, and then put it in the fridge to let it set, and it, then it's good to go.
0: It is really heavy and really chocolatey. Yes, uh, oh, as well. So good. I'm wondering, and I'm just spitballing here. Uh, could you use something other than chocolate pudding mix? to give I mean I know it's with the devil yeah. with devil's know. food I you've mean, got you the chocolate try, frosting the chocolate chips you could try vanilla chips.
2: or I mean yeah, yeah. I,
0: I'm just wondering yeah, you I know, know how that would you, you, could can try you can it. experiment yeah. with that
2: i that a, I'm a chocolate fan so <laughs> do that experiment with I'm it and with then it. Yeah.
0: Uh, post your yeah. results on uh, the yeah. Kyra's Kitchen Facebook yeah. page and was, tell us how it came out
2: yeah it's really good
0: all of those recipes are posted on the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page at Kyra's Kitchen WFIN so make sure you uh, like her uh, Facebook page for all of those recipes and you can share your favorites and how you tweet these recipes yes. um, to make them even better and share your favorites. If you have one that you would like to share, you never know. It might end up uh, as one of uh, Kyra's recipes on the air. Uh, you can also uh, make requests. I know we got the holiday season coming up if there's something you are, are looking for. Uh, by all means, you can let us know about it. Uh, again, Kyra's Kitchen, WFIN on Facebook. We we'll also uh, we also have a link to those recipes from goodmornings.net and on the uh, WFIN Facebook page. Uh, we will uh, uh, share those as well. So my wife Kyra with us uh, this morning recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. Kai, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. Check us out online at goodmornings.net. Coming up Monday on the program, it's another Mental Health Monday. Tis the season for sad seasonal affective disorder. As the days get shorter and it gets dark earlier now with the time change, we have strategies for coping with the winter blues. So until Monday morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.